Section 16 of The Natural History, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume 5 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 16. Book 23. Chapter 66 to 83. Chapter 66. Plums. Four observations upon them. The leaves of the plum, boiled in wine, are useful for the tonsillary glands, the gums and the uvula, the mouth being rinsed with the decoction every now and then. As for the fruit itself, it is relaxing to the bowels, but it is not very wholesome to the stomach though its bad effects are little more than momentary. Chapter 67. Peaches. Two Remedies. Peaches, again, are more wholesome than plums, and the same is the case with the juice of the fruit, extracted and taken in either wine or vinegar. Indeed, what known fruit is there that is more wholesome as an element than this, there is none, in fact, that has a less powerful smell, or a greater abundance of juice, though it has a tendency to create thirst. The leaves of it, beaten up and applied topically, arrest hemorrhage. The kernels mixed with oil and vinegar are used as a liniment for headache. Chapter 68. Wild Plums. Two Remedies. The fruit of the wild plum, or the bark of the root, boiled down to one-third in one hemina of astringent wine, arrests looseness of the bowels and gripping pains in the stomach. The proper dose of the decoction is one theatus. Chapter 69. The Lichen on Plum Trees. Two Remedies. Upon the bark of the wild and cultivated plums we find an excrescence growing, known to the Greeks by the name of lichen. It is remarkably good for chaps and condylomatous swellings. Chapter 70. Mulberries. 39 Remedies. In Egypt and in the Isle of Cyprus there are, as already stated, mulberry trees of a peculiar kind, being of a nature that is truly marvellous. For, if the outer bark is peeled off, they emit a great abundance of juice but if a deeper incision is made, they are found to be quite dry. This juice is an antidote to the venom of serpents, is good for dysentery, disperses inflammated tumors and all kinds of gatherings, heals wounds and allays both headache and earache. It is taken in drink for affections of the spleen, and is used as a liniment for the same purpose, as also for fits of shivering. This juice, however, very soon breeds worms. Among ourselves, too, the juice which exudes from the mulberry tree is employed for an equal number of purposes. Taken in wine, it neutralizes the noxious effects of aquanite and the venom of spiders, relaxes the bowels and expels tapeworm and other animals which breed in the intestines. The bark of the tree pounded has also a similar effect. The leaves, boiled in rainwater with the bark of the black fig and the wine, are used for dyeing the hair. The juice of the fruit has a laxative effect immediately upon the bowels, though the fruit itself for the moment acts beneficially upon the stomach, 
being of a refreshing nature, but productive of thirst. If no other food is taken upon them, mulberries are of a swelling tendency. The juice of unripe mulberries acts astringently upon the bowels. The marvels which are presented by this tree, and of which we have made some mention when describing it, would almost appear to belong to a creature gifted with animation. Chapter 71 The medicament called stomatice, arteriice, or pancrestos, four remedies. From the fruit of the mulberry, a medicament is prepared called pancrestos, stomatice, or arteriace. The following is the method employed. Three sextarii of the juice are reduced at a slow heat to the consistency of honey. Two denarii of dried omphacium or one of myrrh with one demarius of saffron are then added the whole being beaten up together and mixed with the decoction. There is no medicament known that is more soothing than this, for affections of the mouth, the trachea, the uvula, and the stomach. There is also another mode of preparing it. Two sextari of mulberry juice and one of attic honey are boiled down in the manner above stated. There are some other marvellous properties, also which are mentioned in reference to this tree. When the tree is in bud, and before the appearance of the leaves, the germs of the fruit must be gathered with the left hand. The Greeks give them the name of Ricini. These germs, worn as an amulet before they have touched the ground, have the effect of arresting hemorrhage, whether proceeding from a wound, from the mouth, from the nostrils, or from piles, for which purpose they are accordingly put away and kept. Similar virtues are attributed to a branch just beginning to bear, broken off at full moon, provided also it has not touched the ground. This branch, it is said, attached to the arm, is peculiarly efficacious for the suppression of the catamenia when in excess. The same effect is produced, it is said, when the woman herself pulls it off, whatever time it may happen to be, care being taken not to let it touch the ground, and to wear it attached to the body. The leaves of the mulberry tree beaten up fresh, or a decoction of them dried, are applied topically for stings inflicted by serpents. An infusion of them taken in drink is equally efficacious for that purpose. The juice extracted from the bark of the root, taken in wine or oxycrate, counteracts the venom of the scorpion. We must also give some account of the method of preparing this medicament employed by the ancients. Extracting the juice from the fruit, both ripe and unripe, they mixed it together, and then boiled it down in a copper vessel to the consistency of honey. Some persons were in the habit of adding myrrh and cypress, and then left it to harden in the sun, mixing it with a spatula three times a day. Such was their receipt for the stomatize, which was also employed by them to promote the cicatrization of wounds. There was another method also of dealing with the juice of this fruit. Extracting the juice, they used the dried fruit with various articles of food, as tending to heighten the flavor, and they were in the habit of employing it medicinally, for corroding ulcers, pituitous expectorations, and all cases in which astringents were required for the viscera. They used it also for the purpose of cleaning the teeth. A third mode of employing the juices of this tree 
is to boil down the leaves and root, the decoction being used with oil as a liniment for the cure of burns. The leaves are also applied by themselves for the same purpose. An incision made in the root at harvest time supplies a juice that is extremely useful for toothache, gatherings, and suppurations. It acts also as a purgative upon the bowels. Mulberry leaves, macerated in urine, remove the hair from hides. Chapter 72. Cherries. Five Observations Upon Them. Cherries are relaxing to the bowels and unwholesome to the stomach. In a dried state, however, they are astringent and diuretic. I find it stated by some authors that if cherries are taken early in the morning covered with dew, the kernels being eaten with them, the bowels will be so strongly acted upon as to affect a cure for gout in the feet. Chapter 73. Meddlers, Two Remedies. Sorbs, Two Remedies. Meddlers, the Cetania accepted, which has pretty nearly the same properties as the apple, act astringently upon the stomach and arrest looseness of the bowels. The same is the case, too, with dried sorbs, but when eaten fresh, they are beneficial to the stomach and are good for fluxes of the bowels. Chapter 74. Pine Nuts. Thirteen Remedies Pine nuts, with the resin in them, are slightly bruised and then boiled down in water to one-half, the proportion of water being one sextarius to each nut. This decoction, taken in doses of two sayathi, is used for the cure of spitting of blood. The bark of the tree, boiled in wine, is given for gripping pains in the bowels. The kernels of the pine nut always thirst, and assuage acridities and gnawing pains in the stomach. They tend also to neutralize vicious humors in that region. Recruit the strength, and are salutary to the kidneys and the bladder. They would seem, however, to exercise an irritating effect upon the fauces and decrease cough. Taken in water, wine, resin wine, or a decoction of dates, they carry off bile. For gnawing pains in the stomach of extreme violence, they are mixed with cucumber seed or in juice or purslane. They are employed, too, in a similar manner for ulcerations of the bladder and kidneys, having a diuretic effect. Chapter 75. Almonds. 29 Remedies. A decoction of the root of the bitter almond clears the complexion and gives the face a brighter color. Bitter almonds are provocative of sleep and sharpen the appetite. They act also as a diuretic and as an emmenagorge. They are used topically for headache, when there is fever more particularly. Should the headache proceed from inebriation, they are applied with vinegar, rose oil, and one sextarius of water. Used in combination with amylum, the mint, they arrest hemorrhage. They are useful also for lethargy and epilepsy, and the head is anointed with them for the cure of epinectis. In combination with wine, they heal putrid ulcers of an inveterate nature, and with honey, bites inflicted by dogs. They are employed also for the cure of scaly eruptions of the face, the parts affected being fomented first. Taken in water or, as is often done in an electuary, with resin of terebinth, they remove pains in the liver and kidneys, 
used with raisin wine, they are good for calculus and strangery. Bruised in hydromel, they are useful for cleansing the skin, and taken in an electuary with the addition of a small proportion of elelispecus, they are good for diseases of the liver, cough, and colic, a piece about the size of a hazelnut being taken in honey. It is said that if five bitter almonds are taken by a person before sitting down to drink, he will be proof against inebriation, and that foxes, if they eat bitter almonds, will be sure to die immediately, if they cannot find water to lap. As to sweet almonds, their remedial properties are not so extensive. Still, however, they are of a purgative nature, and are diuretic. Eaten fresh, they are difficult of digestion. Chapter 76. Greek Nuts, One Remedy Greek nuts, taken in vinegar with wormwood seed, are said to be a cure for jaundice. Used alone, they are employed topically for the treatment of diseases of the fundament, and condylomata in particular, and also cough and spitting of blood. Chapter 77. Walnuts. 24 Remedies. The Mithridatic Antidote. Walnuts have received their name in Greek from being oppressive to the head, for in fact the emanations from the tree itself and the leaves penetrate to the brain. The kernels also have a similar effect when eaten, though not in so marked a degree. When fresh gathered, they are most agreeable eating, for when dry, they are more oleaginous, unwholesome to the stomach, difficult of digestion, productive of headache, and bad for cough, or for a person when about to take an emetic fasting. They are good in cases of tenismus only, as they carry off the pituitous humors of the body. Eaten beforehand, they deaden the effects of poison, and employed with rue and oil, they are a cure for ginsey. They act as a corrective also to onions and modify their flavor. They are applied to inflammations of the ears, with a little honey, and with rue they are used for affections of the mammillae and for sprains. With onions, salt and honey, they are applied to bites inflicted by dogs or human beings. Walnut shells are used for cauterizing carious teeth, and with these shells burnt and then beaten up in oil or wine, the heads of infants are anointed, they having a tendency to make the hair grow. Hence, they are used in a similar manner for alopecy also. These nuts, eaten in considerable numbers, act as an expellent upon tapeworm. Walnuts, when very old, are curative of gangrenous sores and carbuncles, of bruises also. Green walnut shells are employed for the cure of lichens and dysentery, and the leaves are beaten up with vinegar as an application for earache. After the defeat of that mighty monarch, Mithridates, Cneius Pompeius found in his private cabinet a recipe for an antidote in his own handwriting. It was to the following effect. Take two dried walnuts, two figs, and twenty leaves of rue. Pound them all together, with the addition of a grain of salt. If a person takes this mixture fasting, he will be proof against all poisons for that day. Walnut kernels chewed by a man fasting and applied to the wound effect an instantaneous cure, it is said, of bites inflicted by a mad dog. 
Chapter seventy eight Hazelnuts Three Observations Upon Them Pistachio Nuts Eight Observations Upon Them Chestnuts Five Observations Upon Them Hazelnuts are productive of headache and flatulency of the stomach. They contribute, however, to the increase of flesh more than would be imagined. Parched, they are remedial for cathars, and beaten up and taken with hedromel, they are good for an inveterate cough. Some persons add grains to pepper, and others take them in resin wine. Pistachio nuts have the same properties, and are productive of the same effects as pine nuts, in addition to which they are used as an antidote to the venom of serpents eaten or taken in drink. Chestnuts have a powerful effect in arresting fluxes of the stomach and intestines, are relaxing to the bowels, are beneficial in cases of spitting of blood, and have a tendency to make flesh. Chapter 79. Carobs. Five Observations Upon Them. The Cornel, One Remedy. The Fruit of the Arbutus. Fresh carobs are unwholesome to the stomach and relaxing to the bowels. In a dried state, however, they are astringent, and are much more beneficial to the stomach. They are diuretic also. For pains in the stomach, persons boil three Syrian carobs with one sextarius of water down to one half, and drink the decoction. The juices which exude from the branches of the cornel are received on a plate of red-hot iron, without it touching the wood the rust of which is applied for the cure of incipient lichens. The arbutus or anido bears a fruit that is difficult of digestion and injurious to the stomach. Chapter 80. The Laurel. 69 Observations Upon It. All parts of the laurel, both the leaves, bark, and berries, are of a warming nature, and a decoction of them, the leaves in particular, is very useful for affections of the bladder and uterus. The leaves applied topically neutralize the poison of wasps, bees, and hornets, as also that of serpents, the seps, dipsas, and viper in particular. Boiled in oil, they promote the catamenia, and the more tender of the leaves beaten up with polenta are used for inflammation of the eyes, with the rue for inflammations of the testes, and with rose oil, or oil of iris, for headache. Three leaves, chewed and swallowed for three days in succession, are a cure for cough, and beaten up with honey for asthma. The bark of the root is dangerous to pregnant women. The root itself disperses calculi, and taken in doses of three oboli and aromatic wine, it acts beneficially on the liver. The leaves taken in drink act as an emetic, and the berries pounded and applied as a pessary, or else taken in drink, promote menstruation. Two of the berries with the skin removed, taken in wine, are a cure for inveterate cough and hardness of breathing. If, however, this is accompanied by fever, they are given in water, or else in an electuary with resin wine, or boiled in hydromel. Employed in a similar manner, they are good for pthesis, and for all deflections of the chest, as they have the effect of detaching the phlegm and bringing it off. For stings inflicted by scorpions, four lorry berries are taken in wine. Applied with oil, 
they are a cure for epinectes freckles running sores ulcers of the mouth and scaly eruptions the juice of the berries is curative of porigo and phthriasis and for pains in the ears or hardness of hearing it is injected into those organs with old wine and oil of roses all venomous creatures fly at the approach of persons who have been anointed with this juice taken in drink the juice of the small-leaved laurel in particular it is good for stings inflicted by them the berries used with wine neutralize the venom of serpents scorpions and spiders they are applied also topically with oil and vinegar in diseases of the spleen and liver and with honey to gangrenous sores in cases of lassitude and shivering fits it is a very good plan to rub the body with juice of laurel berries mixed with nitre some persons are of opinion that delivery is accelerated by taking laurel root to the amount of one acetabulum in water and that used fresh it is better than dried it is recommended by some authorities to take ten of the berries in drink for the sting of the scorpion and in cases of relaxation of the uvula to boil a quarter of a pound of the berries or leaves in three sextari of water down to one third the decoction being used warm as a gargle for headache also it is recommended to bruise an uneven number of the berries in oil the mixture being warmed for use the leaves of the delphic laurel bruised and applied to the nostrils from time to time are a preservative against contagion and pestilence and more particularly if they are burnt the oil of the delphic laurel is employed in the preparation of therites and the medicinal composition known as acopum and it is used for fits of shivering occasioned by cold for the relaxation of the sinews and for the cure of pains in the side and the cold attacks in fevers warmed in the rind of a pomegranate it is applied topically for the cure of earache a decoction of the leaves boiled down in water to one-third used as a gargle braces the ovula and taken in drink allays pains in the bowels and intestines the more tender leaves bruised in wine and applied at night are a cure for pimples and prurigo the other varieties of the laurel possess properties which are nearly analogous the root of the laurel of alexandria or of mount ida accelerates delivery being administered in doses of three denarii to three siathi of sweet wine it acts also as an emmenagoge and brings away the afterbirth taken in drink in a similar manner the wild laurel known as daphnodes and by the other names which we have mentioned is productive of beneficial effects the leaves of it either fresh or dried taken in doses of three drachma in hydromel with salt act as a purgative upon the bowels the wood chewed brings off phlegm and the leaves act as an emetic they are unwholesome however to the stomach the berries too are sometimes taken fifteen in number as a purgative chapter eighty one myrtle sixty observations upon it the white cultivated myrtle is employed for fewer medicinal purposes than the black one the berries of it are good for spitting of blood and taken in wine they neutralize the poison of fungi they impart an agreeable smell to the breath 
even when eaten the day before. Thus, for instance, in Menander we find the Sinaristose eating them. They are taken also for dysentery in doses of one denarius in wine, and they are employed lukewarm in wine for the cure of obstinate ulcers on the extremities. Mixed with polenta, they are employed topically in ophthalmia, and for the cardiac disease they are applied to the left breast. For stings inflicted by scorpions, diseases of the bladder, headache, and fistulas of the eye, before separation, they are similarly employed. And for tumors and pituitous eruptions, the kernels are first removed, and the berries are then pounded in old wine. The juice of the berries acts astringently upon the bowels and is diuretic. Mixed with serite, it is applied topically to blisters, pituitous eruptions, and wounds inflicted by the phalangium. It imparts a black tint also to the hair. The oil of this myrtle is of a more soothing nature than the juice, and the wine which is extracted from it, and which possesses the property of never inebriating, is even more so. This wine, used when old, acts astringently upon the stomach and bowels, cures gripping pains in those regions, and dispels nausea. The dried leaves powdered and sprinkled upon the body, check profuse perspirations, in fever even. They are good, too, used as a fomentations, for coelic affections, procedents of the uterus, diseases of the fundament, running ulcers, erysipelas, loss of the hair, scaly and other eruptions and burns. This powder is used as an ingredient also, in the plasters known as liparae, and for the same reason the oil of the leaves is used for a similar purpose, being extremely efficacious as an application to the human parts of the body, the mouth and the uterus, for example. The leaves themselves, beaten up with wine, neutralize the bad effects of fungi, and they are employed in combination with wax for diseases of the joints and gatherings. A decoction of them in wine is taken for dysentery and dropsy. Dried and reduced to powder, they are sprinkled upon ulcers and hemorrhages. They are useful also for the removal of freckles and for the cure of hangnails, whitlows, condylomata, affections of the testes and sordid ulcers. In combination with serrate, they are used for burns. For purulent discharges from the ears, the ashes of the leaves are employed, as well as the juice and the decoction. The ashes are also used in the composition of antidotes. For a similar purpose, the blossoms are stripped from off the young branches, which are burnt in a furnace, and then pounded in wine. The ashes of the leaves, too, are used for the cure of burns. To prevent ulcerations from causing swellings in the ingenial glands, it will suffice for the patient to carry a sprig of myrtle about him, which was never touched the ground, or any implement of iron. Chapter 82 Myrtidanum Thirteen Remedies We have already described the manner in which myrtidanum is made. Applied in a pessary, or as a fomentation or liniment, it is good for affections of the uterus, being much more efficacious than the bark of the tree or the leaves and seed. There is a juice also extracted from the more tender leaves, which are pounded in a mortar for the purpose, 
astringent wine, or according to one method, rainwater, being poured upon them a little at a time. This extract is used for the cure of ulcers of the mouth, the fundament, the atcrus, and the abdomen. It is employed also for dyeing the hair black, the suppression of exudations at the armpits, the removal of freckles, and other purposes in which astringents are required. Chapter 83. The Wild Myrtle, otherwise called Oxymyrsin, or Camaersin, and the Rascus, Six Remedies. The Wild Myrtle, Oxymyrsin, or Camaemyrsin, differs from the cultivated myrtle in the redness of its berries and its diminutive height. The root of it is held in high esteem. A decoction of it in wine is taken for pains in the kidney and strangury, more particularly when the urine is thick and fetid. Pounded in wine, it is employed for the cure of jaundice and as a purgative for the uterus. The same method is adopted also with the young shoots, which are sometimes roasted in hot ashes and eaten as a substitute for asparagus. The berries taken with wine, or oil and vinegar, break calculi of the bladder. Beaten up with rose oil and vinegar, they allay headache. Taken in drink, they are curative of jaundice. Castor calls the wild myrtle with prickly leaves, or oxymersin, from which brooms are made, by the name of rascus. The medicinal properties of it are just the same. Thus much, then, with reference to the medicinal properties of the cultivated trees. Let us now pass on to the wild ones. Remedies, Narratives, and Observations, 918 Roman authors quoted C. Valgius, Pompeius Lenaeus, Sextius Niger, who wrote in Greek, Julius Bassus, who wrote in Greek, Antonius Castor, M. Varro, Cornelius Celsus, Fabianus. Foreign authors quoted Theophrastus, Democritus, Orpheus, Pythagoras, Mago, Menander, who wrote the Biocresta, Nicander, Homer, Hesiod, Musaeus, Sophocles, Anaxileus. Medical authors quoted Menesiteus, Callimachus, Phanius the Physician, Timarestus, Simus, Hippocrates, Chrysippus, Diocles, Ophelion, Heraclides, Hicesius, Dionysius, Apollodorus of Citium, Apollodorus of Tarentum, Plistonicus, Medius, Doikis, Cleophantus, Philistion, Asclepiades, Crateus, Petroinus Diodutus, Iolas, Erasistratus, Diagoras, Andreas, Menesides, Epicharmus, Damion, Dalion, Sosimenes, Tlepolemus, Metrodorus, Solo, Lycus, Olympias of Thebes, Philinius, Petricus, Micton, Glaucias, and Xenocrates. End of section 16